everybody, and welcome to another episode of Neo Kobe Pizza, the only gaming podcast that floats in soup. I am your host, Mark B., and joining me today is fellow longtime staffer and podcaster and one of my closest personal friends, Matt Yeager. How you doing today, sir? Doing all right. So, just, just so I know in advance here, how much have you drunk? Um, one margarita, one beer, one shot. Uh, one so you're not a hundred percent. Yeah, you're not a hundred percent lit up yet. No, not at all. I'm not sure whether that's going to be better or worse, but we'll just kind of go with it and see what happens. All right. So now, for the discussion of this week's podcast, you were just kind of rapid firing a bunch of ideas, and the one that I latched onto that I thought was probably going to be the most interesting to start with was you would kind of mention the idea of talking about game design versus narrative design being in conflict as a concept. Like, clarify that for us a little bit, and, like, let me know where you're coming from with that. Sure. Uh, some of it comes from uh, some video games I've been playing recently, where it's really kind of stood out for me that there are things that come up in the game where I'm like, that's super inconsistent with the world that this is based in, and, and kind of breaks the whole... Uh, concept of what i'm doing uh like like i'm hugely right now into the witcher 3 which i love and in there is a card game called gwent which i also enjoy the shit out of uh and uh but at the same time a lot of that the like gwent is kind of integral to different things in the game and actually is part of various missions and stuff like that i suppose you don't really have to do it uh, but at the same time it makes no goddamn sense for the world that it's in it's uh, it's during a war-torn uh, country where an invader is coming in. People are dying. Shit's jacked up. People are running. And people who are left are just trying to survive. But mostly they're just, uh, it turns out they're worried about their magic cards and making sure that, you know, that they, they've got really good ones to face off against any comers who come at them. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, uh I'm really trying to imagine. I mean, technically, with Pokemon Go going on right now, I can imagine that if like uh, uh, a Red Dawn scenario happened, I could see some people being like, "Oh, you know, sure, we're we're having to hide out underground." But I also have the local gym completely conquered. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know everything's okay. You know, President Trump's got it all in hand. Let me <laughs> let me go get my Pikachu. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, so may, maybe it's not that far off, but uh, it just I'm like, um, I have to play you for your special card, even though like, like one of, one of the people you could play against is, is like a child in a village who is like, and I'm like, what, what the fuck am I doing? I'm a witcher. I, I, I've got a lot going on. I'm trying to search for my missing daughter. Well, you know, missing adopted daughter and all this other stuff. And there's monsters to hunt and kill. But right now I'm playing card games against a fucking uh, half their child in an idiot savant in a village because I really want his goddamn card. I mean, to be fair, there's a certain amount of social commentary about the idea of that you're playing against this child in the first place, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's entirely intentional, but I feel like there's a certain amount of, you know, you're doing this what does that say about you as a person? Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, I really like Gwent, and so I'm like, this makes no sense to the game, the story, the narrative that's happening around me, but I really like Gwent, so fuck it. And, right. Um, 
So from that, we, we kind of extrapolate, like you had written the question, you know, are we ever going to get to a point where game design and narrative can work together? Yeah. And, and I think there are some cases where it does work together. I just think when it happens is very, very, very rarely. Um, and in, I can only think of a couple of cases where narrative and design have worked together um, instead of working against each other. Okay. Now, from my perspective, I kind of look at it as there are a lot less games that are narratively dissonant than you would think. And while narrative dissonance is definitely a problem in badly designed games or games where certain things were the focus beyond others, I don't feel like that's maybe so much of a problem because a lot of the games that I've played, I feel like are narratively cohesive and work together so long as you approach it from a certain perspective and direction, which we'll get into a little later. But I, I feel like just establishing our points of view up front is good so that when we start getting into, you know, yes, no, yes, no, then you know whose side that you're on or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no. To really get into it, though, I, I feel like there's going to be a bit of a, a, a little, there's a, a need for a little bit of a, I guess, history lesson. So I want to try and fill in some of the blanks for people who might be coming into this new, which at least with, you know, my friends and their associated friends is probably going to be a lot of people. To clarify, before we start into this, I am not Noah Gervais, I am not Chris Franklin, I do not have an extensive understanding of the history of, of game design to the extent that those gentlemen do, so I'm going to gloss over a lot of the, the minutiae associated. If the terms that we discussed here interest you, you can go look up things like Errant Signal or Noah Gervais or H-Bomber Guy to see the sorts of extended discussions that they have on game mechanics and the history of game study to get a sense of where they're coming from and how that works. Here we're going to gloss over it to get to the meat of the discussion. You okay with that, Matt? Yeah. Cool. So the first thing I want to get down to is the concepts of ludology and narratology because they, they kind of inform a lot of what we're talking about here. Now... I know that we've talked about them very briefly in the Die Hard Gamecast, but, like, have you had any real exposure to those terms outside of us just, like, bullshitting about them? Uh, yeah, just with writing classes and stuff like that, yeah. Okay. Well, narratology is pretty simple, it, It's even in the name. It's the theory and study of narrative and narrative structure um, as it's built within our perception of it. So it's like, you know, how our writing is structured, how our writing is assembled how our writing is put together and how we perceive our writing. This was originally a term coined by Zetan Todorov sometime in the late 1960s, although the idea of studying written stories predates that. And it's, I wouldn't say it's the most successful field of study, but it definitely has a lot of people out there who discuss it in various capacities, even in the more general sense with something like Stephen King's On Writing. Ludology is a lot newer of a realm of study. Uh, it's literally the study of games, our methods of play, and what cultural and structural elements are involved in play. The term was originally coined by Gonzalo Frasca sometime in the late 90s, I believe in 1999. And while it applies to many different kinds of games, including chess, Go, Connect Four, for the purposes of this exercise, it's meant to describe 
game mechanics, structural mechanics, how that sort of thing works. We commonly use that in this sort of discussion point as kind of one word, ludonarrative, which is the concept of how gameplay and story intersect with one another. Essentially, it's, it's how gameplay and narrative connect and work within each other. So the thing that we are talking about is literally ludonarrative. Yeah. What, what you're talking about specifically is the concept of ludonarrative dissonance, which has kind of become sort of a, a, a weird bad word for people outside of a certain sect of analysis. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of thrown about a bunch too nowadays and uh i probably uh, i don't use it that often although uh, i know a lot of people use it for anything that essentially i don't know it's kind of used widespread it's too, too many people use it without like the strict definition of what it's meant to represent but it, it's when the narrative uh the story and the game or the what's happening in the game are so separate from each other like we talk about Tomb Raider with uh, Lunar Narrative Dissonance, the most recent ones, where she's a she's just a young survivor who's who's so traumatized by everything, and yet in the game you're fucking murdering everybody like a hardcore killer. Right. It's 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 the narrative and the mechanics in stark contrast to one another, where instead of working together, they work in distinct and direct contrast to each other, and it's. I mean, I feel like in a lot of respects, Tomb Raider is an example that both does and doesn't hold up. No, I think it holds up like crazy. It, the game rewards you with uh, adding additional skill, kill things, since, which is completely against what the point the narrative's trying to make. So I, I think that holds up just fine. And I, I like that game. I like that game, so it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is a good game, and I do agree with you on that, but I also feel like there's a certain degree of concerning writing there. Like, you know, when she's screaming, run, you bastards, I'm going to kill you all, or whatever, at that point, it's kind of the narrative catching up with the ludology, because it's, well, shit, we have to write a game about killing hundreds of dudes. I better write a thing where she's, like, starting to get okay with killing hundreds of dudes. But, yeah, for, for a while, like, especially in the early hours of the game, the ludology and the narratology are dramatically butting heads with one another because they just don't have a core understanding of how a person would deal with the idea of being murdered or whatever like dealing with the idea of like murdering other people killing other people after dealing with all of the nonsense that she had to deal with to get to that point like almost being raped everything it's it's it wants to try and come across like one part superhero origin story and one part like becoming stronger but it just comes across as fucked up trauma victim and not especially well yeah and so some of that is in there and i think one thing that's important to stress too with some of this is even if we're talking about various games or anything most of the games i might call out or anything are still games that i love and enjoy it's i have some issues <laughs> so uh, none of this is me trying to shit talk any of these games. No, not at all. Like, I mean, there are plenty of examples that we can highlight here. Bioshock is a perfectly clear example, oh, and that geez. actually that actually was the example that originally coined the, coined the term um, when Clint Hawking of Lucas Arts, well, formerly of Lucas Arts at that point, mentioned it in 2007 when discussing the game. 
And his argument holds a certain amount of water. I mean, thematically, the game kind of wants to talk about the idea that selfish attempts to better oneself, to get power, forsaking all else, are fundamentally a bad thing, and how being selfless and avoiding like the negative effects of drug abuse and things like that are an ideal scenario but it also features a main character who's constantly in pursuit of power by abusing the same drugs that the people that he's killing are abusing yep it's you could make certain arguments if you go down the negative narrative path that it's your character falling into that sort of thing but regardless your character is still consistently abusing drugs and everything else to get himself super powerful and if you go to the best possible ending ultimately rejects that lifestyle and returns home with his veins full of drugs that allow him to shoot bees out of his arms. And plus, frankly, like the narrative in that game is fucking awful. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't, don't I'm not, yeah, it's like a, that's a discussion for another day, I think, I but I'm not, Still, I'm not particularly a fan of the narrative of that game in a lot of respects either. Worst assassination plan ever, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but another, another key point here is, you know, Uncharted. Uncharted came, comes up in this discussion a lot. Yeah. That dude. <laughs> to, the, to, the point where, to the point where they put a fucking trophy in the most recent game called Ludonarrative Dissonance. <laughs> really? They put it in Uncharted 4? <laughs> yeah, for, if, if you kill a thousand dudes. <laughs> and the, the creative director, Neil Druckmann, stated that they did that because they don't buy into the idea that their game is Ludonarratively dissonant. <laughs> Oh, come on. If they had at least played a... If they were like, yeah, it is so... I'd have respected them more for that. Uh, <laughs> so it's... It's it's clearly a difficult concept to pin down. Because, I mean, to be fair, you get to a point where, honestly, I just feel like the people who develop Uncharted collectively just hate any kind of criticism at all. Hmm. To the point where they're willing to publicly come out and say well, fuck ludonarrative dissonance and don't ever read NeoGAF, which is just okay. No. Whatever. That's kind of weird, because if they made that an achievement and they were like, yeah, it is, so what? Uh, I would have respected them, but them being like, like, it isn't. We're putting it in there because uh, we're sarcastic. I'm like, ah, oh, you're kind of being little bitches about it now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Hideo Kojima got to say that uh, his his woman that he made in Metal Gear Solid Five, Quiet, was sexy because she breathed through her skin and that we would feel so embarrassed about it instead of just saying, I like titties. <laughs> yeah. Because you know what? I would have respected him a lot more if he had just said that he liked titties. Yeah, that's Because you know too. what? Like, sometimes sometimes that's okay. Sometimes yeah. it's okay to just say that you like titties. Oops. And sometimes it's okay to just say, we don't give a shit that our game is ludonarratively dissonant. We like our characters, but we also like having you shoot dudes. Yep. Like, I don't, I don't feel like this is an unapproachable concept. I don't feel like this is an unreasonable thing to have happen where the mechanics and gameplay work together. But before we get into, like, the debate of it, I want to hear, like, I want to hear what you think on it. Just to set the tone a bit. Well, I, I think one of the things that uh, our problem with uh, games as an art form, which I absolutely do think they're an art form, but I think uh, out of any art form, uh, it's the one with the biggest problem with narrative. Um, with having... a um, uh, a message that works with the design of the game itself. Um, for 
simple. A lot of people have heard a picture is worth a thousand words, and I don't think anybody would argue that a painting or a picture can express uh, a story through the what it's showing. Obviously, books are, are there too, and uh, poetry, music, anything. Uh, no, nobody says as well. You know, the music really, uh, the music really comes first, and so the the narrative is afterwards, right? And some people might question music lyrics or anything, but nobody questions the fact that you can tell a story through a song. Uh, whereas video games, we do have the issue where we have still, to this day, with all the technology we have, with telling a story well and consistently through game games because the narrative fights the game design often. It often feels like the two things are developed in separate rooms instead of together, um, except for with some indie games. And so often it it feels like the two things are not together and they're sometimes working against each other. Um, and to the point where it it's just goofy. Like Fallout 4 has you looking for your child but you can spend most of the game not looking for your child. Um, and it's like, who decided that that was a great mechanic to put in a game in a game like Fallout where you fucking know you're going to ignore the main plot, right? Like, I, I've played a lot of Skyrim. I have no goddamn clue what the plot of Skyrim is still. Like, the main story quest? I think I did half that shit. I still don't know. Um, and... Not to say that it has to be, but why do they continuously create these problems? So many games follow the Ubisoft method of, of now where you have to go and climb up something to unlock other portions of the map and everything. And none of that shit really makes sense within the structure of the story being told. It's all just... It's all game design literally being shoved down your throat. Um you have to do, get this many amount of collectibles, you have to do this, you have to do that, all of that, that continuously reminds you that you're not a, you're not following a narrative, you're playing a game and the narrative is secondary. Uh, and I mean, you can go all the way back in time, back into like the original Resident Evil and stuff like that, uh, where um, like you have to get a certain amount of key cards, or you got to get a certain tree card, blah blah blah, uh, and it's like, okay, whose fucking house is really set up like this? This doesn't make a goddamn lick of sense. And if you think about it for more than thirty seconds, this whole thing just falls the fuck apart. Uh, uh, it's like people have to go in and out of that lab every day, and they always got to move this to get there to move that. That shit doesn't make any goddamn sense. Why the fuck is it set up like that? And, uh, and because it's a game, and that's the majority of the thing, is that for the most part, the excuse that comes up when it's like, well, some of the shit just doesn't, doesn't make any sense for the story, uh, usually the excuse is, well, it's a game. But at that point, it's like, well, is, can game design and narrative work well together? I think there are some good examples of it working really well together, but I think for the most part, those are... Uh, those are uh, infrequent at best, and those uh, prove the rule rather than anything else. And uh, and it's another one of those things too, where video games can absolutely exist without narrative. Some uh, some of the best video games exist without any narrative whatsoever. My biggest problem is is when you try to put a narrative into a game, and um, for the most part, 
uh, it people have a hard time marrying the game mechanics to the narrative in such a way where it feels like you're interacting with it at, and usually what happens is either they lower the amount of interaction to something simple like a quick time event uh, or they just make it so that it doesn't really make sense and you're just like well it's a video game and so that that's kind of my concern is that uh, that i wonder at at what point at what point do we uh, like this far into video game development are we just like well you know these two things really just don't work together they're just kind of separate things that stand on their own in a game there's the narrative and then there's the game design and they're not they don't really feed into each other they just kind of exist separately from each other but they both require each other to exist okay and i mean like that's a that's a fair point but i, I look at it from a slightly different perspective and where i'm looking at it actually kind of starts from a different foundation so take this trip with me if you will hmm. gaming is always going to have a certain degree of segmented ludo narrative it's going to have a certain amount of breakdown between where the mechanics start and where the narrative starts. And that comes from one very specific thing. Tutorials. Tutorials talk directly to the player in a way that actively educates them on the universe that they're playing in and how the mechanics and structures of the game work. They actively break the fourth wall to explain mechanics to the player outside of the framework of the narrative. Which on its core, seems like it would be a, a definitive, this is never going to work unless we're telling a story where you're actively breaking the fourth wall sort of experience, right? Uh, I, and I, I'm okay with that. If it ex I think there are some games that have done those pretty well in terms of, like, prologue things. And uh, also sometimes there's games that literally joke with the fourth wall. Um, there's also some games where they've done, uh, like the HUD uh, heads-up display, um, integrated it well with the visuals that are on the screen instead of making it too obvious. Uh, there's some games with no tutorials at all. Tutorials at all. Um, I think, I don't know. Some of it comes it's from the fact that we don't really get manuals with our games anymore. <laughs> so, uh, like, there's no outside thing explaining how the fuck we play this. They, they have to put it in there. And that's fair to a point also, but for me, the way I look at it is, instead of treating that as if it's ludonarratively dissonant, and in some cases game-breaking, I look at it more as if it's a part of the language of gaming. Any type of media that we work with has its own specific language that it can communicate in that few other media can communicate in properly. So, you have examples where, in theater... For instance, theatrical presentations will communicate utilizing specific language that you can't really translate to film unless you're actively trying to do it on purpose. Uh, scene transitions are a perfect example of this. If you've ever seen somebody running back and forth with objects to allow for proper set transition, you don't think about it as, well, this is really immersion-breaking that I'm seeing these people running stuff in and out or whatever. You think, oh, it's, it's a scene transition. I, I, I've heard about this. Okay, this is fine. I can deal with this. You can't really do that so much in film, but in theater, it works perfectly fine. In theater, you can break the fourth wall a bit because you're directively performing to an audience right in front of you. 
and theatrical performers will have a certain amount of leeway to fudge a little bit as needed, especially since the requirements to be a theatrical actor are skill in pantomime, being able to project, stuff like that. In film, the language is different. You communicate with the camera angles that you're utilizing, um, the diegetic and non-diegetic elements that you're working with. So, you know, tilting a camera into a Dutch angle can convey a completely different emotion and response from shooting it straight on. A long take can convey a different message from several small takes back to back, that sort of thing. I feel like video games can crossbreed these sorts of languages together and also have their own language that they speak through tutorials and through player interaction and through perceivable consequence where the player interacts, they know what is expected of them, and they can accept that this is part of the medium because, okay, this is just what I expect. You don't you don't mind the surrealism of somebody telling you press A to interact with this thing because that's the language of gaming. It's been the language of gaming for years. We immediately associate that that is the language of gaming and we don't think about it. It doesn't break that sense of immersion for us. Well, and that's a, and I'm okay too when it comes to like prologues and stuff like that because uh, I mean, it, honestly, it's something that they've been using in uh, plays for the longest time, whether it's called choral storytelling or um, uh, the Greeks started it with uh, doing choruses to the audience themselves or a soliloquy or anything else with, uh, where they have a narrator specifically talking to the audience to get them in, to set up the scene, essentially. And uh, so I don't necessarily kind of consider that a, the tutorial portion uh, problem or breaking the narrative as much as I, I feel it's the same way with place in terms of setting the scene, setting the tone of what's about to follow. Which is fair. And it's, again, it's, it's I'm not specifically picking on tutorials in this case, but I'm just saying a lot of the sorts of language that could potentially be considered as breaking down of the Ludo narrative in some respects can also be considered part of video gaming's own language. Like video game has its video games have their own way that they speak to one another and to players of them. They have their own way that they exist within their defined universe that works for gaming in a way that does not work for other mediums. And I, and I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, like, uh, whether or not it's some of the stuff, like e even this, the flat-out visual representation, we all know a red barrel is going to explode. Um, things like that. I'm perfectly fine with, uh, like, even the option to earn tutorials on and stuff like that so that you constantly have, like, oh, when you walk up to this, you have to hit the A button or B button. I don't even necessarily feel that that uh, breaks immersion. To me, it's when, uh, to me, it's more of a mechanical thing when uh, the game has to tell you something or when something is set up mechanically like like i said about the keys where it doesn't make sense that that fucking house in resident evil for example nobody could live there ever nobody can go to work day to day in that house house and everything because the you, way you would have to unlock the doors makes no goddamn sense but it's things like that well, and I understand most people playing that won't think about that and everything, but narratively, that game makes... And I'm okay with it, because the game's a goddamn B-movie. 
Um, and that's fine. B movies don't even have to make sense. Uh, but that that shit does not make sense. Uh, I know. I agree with you. The the the, the building of Resident Evil, the, the Resident Evil Two, just in general, yeah, makes no fucking sense. No. Why would I have to use a chess piece to get to you know like the 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 power in the police station? What? What? Yeah, and, and things like that. But I, that's what I mean. Uh, are like. Uh, and Assassin's Creed, I even understand the fact that they're mocking the fact that you're in a game within a game to get away with some stuff. And they do get away with some stuff there. But I'm like, I, there's so many like things in that game where you're wandering through where it's like none of this has anything to do with the story. Some of it detracts from the story. I don't even understand why I have to go. Like, what sense does it make in this game for me to have to climb up to specific towers and have an eagle go around and then jump into some hay where I would certainly fucking die. Um, like nothing <laughs> like, um, as much as I like it, it makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> like, well, to me, it's, I look at the perspective and I feel like there are some high profile failures of Ludo narrative cohesion, which I, I think is due to a combination of mechanical requirements and maybe just lazy developers to a certain extent. But I feel like the problem is a lot less pervasive than it seems. It's just that there are so many high-profile examples of it existing that it looks like it's more of a problem than it is because the people who are in the high-profile who have those problems are really bad at it, and it happens constantly. Like, for example, the Call of Duty franchise is, generally speaking narratively appropriate like it, it's ludo narrative conceits usually work pretty fine they're very basic and very elementary but they generally stick to one another shoot dudes until they die and and for that matter like that that's what i mean too with some of uh it starts in order to stay on narrative for some of like the single player uh portions of that game it, it's re literally reduced down to point and click like that's all your input in that game you put the crosshairs on somebody and shoot that's 99 percent of what you do and true but there are complex games that actually go out of their way to actively try to stay as ludo narratively consistent as possible saints row 4 is a perfect example of that saints row 4 i got uh, is wacky enough where they built uh, a whole inner matrix system where it doesn't have to make any goddamn sense so that's good on them <laughs> not only that they justify why they're doing what they're doing like they use those same justifications well not the same justifications but they use similar justifications for saints row 3 it's why am i throwing myself into traffic as a mini game in saints row 3 because we need money how yeah. am i surviving this you're just unnaturally capable of surviving the shit <laughs> okay all right you justified it. Cool. Mechanics, narrative, married. Good on you. Yeah. And they, they, they go out of their way to justify to the player why the fuck you're doing this. They say, okay, this is a dumb thing we want you to do, and here's why we want you to do that dumb thing, and it's great. It's great. Yeah. And they explain it. You know, it's it's... Metro Last Light is another great example where the game is not ludo narratively dissonant where its mechanics work in service of its narrative and everything fits together well 
even to the point where there are there are things that happen there are tropes that come up where you know maybe people aren't treated very particularly well or maybe things are portrayed kind of poorly in certain extents but it all makes sense within the confines of its universe it all makes sense in its narrative why am i stuck changing out these air filters because it's that's a thing that's happening in this universe why am i doing this thing why am i going to this place why is this naked woman bouncing around in my lap the the game justifies all of it and explains why you're doing all of this dumb shit and i i think most the games where it's most successful in are the games where uh, uh, the mechanics are tailored more towards the narrative than the feeling like they're done in separate rooms uh which admittedly is a lot of AAA games because they're like, does this check the back of the box? Nope. Then add it in there. Yeah. Right. A lot of the a lot of the big name top shelf games can have those sorts of problems, and it's. I feel like the problem is less that it's a major issue, and it's more that it's an issue with the people who are the heaviest at the top, and to have the least to worry about in terms of whether or not that's going to make a difference. A lot of games that you play that are lower on the totem pole, either financially, exposure-wise, whatever, make it work. Uh, a game that you loved quite a bit, Undertale, I yeah. feel is, from from what I have experienced of it, completely, tonally, and narratively consistent with itself. Yeah, I... Absolutely, uh, that that game is consistent with itself. I, I feel like that's a good example. Brothers, it may be one of the best examples I can even think of, where everything that you're doing from the game and the narrative just works perfectly together. So much so that it makes both of them stronger than they would be separately. Right, and it's another thing to keep in mind. I think that's interesting about this is that we're starting to see more and more games that actively themselves try to question the concept of play, the concept of state of play, the ideas itself of ludonarrative dissonance, or just ludonarrative in general. Uh, Undertale being a prime example to the point where if you try to undo events that you have done, the game will punish you for it. Yep. Because you chose to do a thing, and the game wants it to be understood... In either case, regardless of whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, that you made a decision and it wants you to kind of own that decision. Pony Island, which I played this year, actively will question you on whether or not you want to start the game over again once you've completed the narrative the first time. And it will point out, oh yeah, you're doing this over again, great. And if you complete all of the objectives, the game will actively call you out on the fact that you've completed everything and that you're still doing this despite the fact that the game asked you not to <laughs> like it it has a specific a specific framing to, that it uses to express that it, it does not like what you're doing it doesn't like the way that this is going and it wants you to kind of own your decisions but it's also willing to play with player expectation a bit the stanley parable another great example there are multiple different story paths that you can go down as the game attempts to kind of play with and reorganize the ideas of narrative structure, of narrative tone, of how game mechanics work within narrative. These are all important elements to this game 
even if it's not inherently coming out and saying that. And it's I feel like that's where we're starting to get to the point where narrative dissonance, narrative disconnect can be a little harder to easily quantify because these games are talking in their own language. No, oh, and I agree with that. It's uh, I, And some of it, I think, too, comes with the budget. The higher the budget the game, the more people are involved. I think when more people are involved, then it becomes a question of what they're putting in the game. And like I said, it, it, it too many. Uh, I've said this lots of times, but it feels too many times where it feels like the people making the story and the people making the game are in separate rooms, and then they got to figure out how to like staple the two together later. Oh yeah, and it's like I feel like MMORPGs have had a big problem with that one for years too. Yeah. Like, I don't know that it's going to be possible without a lot of legwork to get some genres to not be dissonant in that way. Because I've been, I've been reading a World of Warcraft blog, because that was never my scene, uh, called, I believe, Eight Years in Azeroth, where the player who spent his time running a guild in Azeroth in World of Warcraft talks about mechanical issues that came up during play alongside discussing how his raiding guild would accomplish different things. And just the way that the game structures things is clearly a bit dissonant because you, you, you have to understand how targeting works. And it's at that point where you're actively trying to break everything down to numbers is when the narrative just kind of goes out the fucking window because you're trying to break down damage numbers as a method of determining who a character will target, when they will target them, what they will do, what the effects will be. It becomes more like fantasy football than anything having to do with narrative structures framing around a mechanical environment. I, I definitely think that there's games that uh, do it better, that do it worse. There, there's some games that where the priority was obviously on one thing versus another. Some of them where there's larger teams. And I think just in general with anything, I mean, if you have a hundred people writing a book together, it's not going to be uh, as focused <laughs> as one person writing a book. And so you get that. I mean, I, I love a lot of indie games where uh, it feels like it's stronger. Like the, uh, I can think of lots of little indie games. Where, Charlie Murder, I love the, the how well they've tied what's happening in the game to the plot because they barely ever say what the plot is and it just it kind of shows it while you're playing and you're like, oh, oh, damn. Huh. There are a few games that do it uh, really well. I know a lot of people will call out one in particular. Um, Spec Ops the line. Yeah, I was gonna get to that one at some point. Yeah, with uh, for like some of it, you don't even realize until you get to the end. <laughs> yeah, that game is very interesting with how it works. It is that that is one of the few games where it was like when they were the game was like you could have just taken no action. I'm like I hadn't even considered that, you know. <laughs> I was like, I thought I had to do something, but it never told me I had to do something. I just assumed. Yeah. 
Though I don't feel like the game has a structure in place that allows you to do nothing. No, there's a couple of times when you can you can choose not to shoot somebody. It, yeah, and when I found that out later, I was like, oh fuck, I'm kind of an asshole. Um, <laughs> like, I just was like, well, I'm gonna take the the lesser of two evils here, and the game was like, you could have chosen no evils, and I'm like, god damn it, <laughs> like. But, like, if you go back and you play through the game again, does it give you the option? Like, can you choose not to do anything and have the game continue forward? Or Yeah, yeah. This is oh, at, wow. at, least a, at least one particular part where there's, like, two guys hanging. You can choose to shoot one or the other. And, like, you could choose to do nothing and you're just fine. Which is interesting because Far Cry 4 kind of did a similar thing where... If you actually did what was instructed to you in the beginning of the game, you accomplish everything without doing all of the messy stuff that comes afterward. Yep. <laughs> and, and it's actually probably the best ending of that game, honestly. <laughs> like The game even later is like, why'd you do that? <laughs> why didn't you just do that in the first place? You should have just done it. <laughs> and it's it's interesting because Far Cry 4 narratively in a lot of respects comes across as being the weaker of the two games in comparison to Far Cry 3. Yeah. But I feel like Far Cry 3 is in a lot of respects the more narratively dissonant game. Yeah. <laughs> because well, and some of that seems intentional. Like the game keeps on telling you you're a monster for doing more violence but then rewards you for doing more violence. But at the same time, you have to do it for survival for your friends. I I don't know. I kind of feel like they 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 could have made that point better in that game. Yeah, like, I do love the point that they're making, but they make it fairly apparent that there is no way out to get out of the circle of violence that you're in. It's the fact that he enjoys it for a while is concerning, but you're consistently in that circle of violence whether you want to be or not. Yeah, and it's like, here's some experience points for killing dudes, just like Tomb Raider, where it's like, you get experience for killing people, and it's like, where do I get my experience for... For just surviving, like, <laughs> for not murdering people. <laughs> like, I know there's no real morality systems in those two games, but at some point it's like, ah, was there not another option? Um, it just feels weird to get, like, here's some points to get levels, to get better ways of killing people. Oh, you're a bad person for killing people. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, like, they never really explain how etching a tattoo into your arm magically gives you the ability to get better at killing people within that world. Yeah. Like, it's 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 a very strange way of attempting to express the concept of personal growth and improvement. Yeah, it was a very weird way. Uh, I, so, in some ways, like I said, I think I said this before when I played Far Cry 4, it's either one of the smartest games I've played, or it's the dumbest one of the, way, the two, because the plot fucking sucks. But, the game also gives you an out right away. And it is like, you can keep playing, but you probably shouldn't. Um, like, yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like as games progress forward, at least some developers are trying, even within like the AAA universe. They're trying to get to that point where things are consistent. But I think the biggest offender at this point really is minigames. Yeah, mini games, mini games within a game, and that that's kind of where I'm going with some of this too. Is how often mini games within a game just kind of 
Which is weird because you and I both love the Yakuza series, which <laughs> has I feel like I feel like the Yakuza series actually does the best narrative, the best Ludo narrative job of making its mini games make sense. That's because you don't have to do any of that shit. Like, no. <laughs> they're and like, if you they're do, there. It's, <laughs> if you do, it's for like one mission, and then they just stop making you deal with that shit. Yeah. You know, do you have to go to the batting cage in Yakuza One? Not really. Nope. Do you have to go golfing in Yakuza 3? Like, once, sure. Yeah. I think you have to do fishing for a subquest, but I don't think you actually have to do fishing for any... I think most of the time it's subquest that doesn't actually... I think 90% of the time it has nothing to do with the main game. You can avoid it altogether if you don't do subquests. Right, and it's... You don't have to go play baseball. You don't have to go play golf. You don't have to hang out with this person or that person. You don't have to take these girls out on dates. You don't have to do any of that if you don't want to. Yeah. You can just not do it, and the game is totally okay with you never bothering to interact with these mechanics. Yeah, you don't have to go to the casino ever. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's... I just, I, like, I feel like Grand Theft Auto kind of tries to do that same sort of thing, and in a lot of respects, it just can't quite handle it. Yeah. Like, Grand Theft Auto 4 is a perfect example of somebody putting in minigames who really, really, really wants you to fucking play these minigames. Because your friends keep fucking calling you. (laughs) Yeah, everybody calls you up like, hey, let's go to the strip bar and look at tits. Let's go play darts. Let's go do this. And you, you actively have to make the choice to blow that person off. You have to actively make the choice to ignore that person. In a game like Yakuza, choosing to play is a choice. In Grand Theft Auto 4, not choosing to play is the choice. Yeah. Well, you can turn your phone off. I didn't even learn that for a while, though. I was like, God damn, these motherfuckers keep calling me. Uh, but and sometimes too how they're structured like at the very least like if you choose to do it in um yakuza you can get some badass new weapons or occasionally new abilities or they have separate goddamn leaderboards and stuff like that uh, uh but it it's some of them are separate some of them just give you rewards which help otherwise but like they give sometimes it gives you crafting items and things like that right um but uh, there's so many too where they, it's just like okay these are mini games that like exist but you don't have to play them and if you don't play them even if you do play them you're not really going to get any kind of substantial reward like i thought saints row 2 did a really good job compared to the grand theft auto series where once you completed the mini games levels it gave you a reward that impacted the game uh, and so it made you want to do them right i feel like i feel like Saints Row, again, is one of those sorts of games that does the best job you possibly can of trying to actively force the player into participating into your minigames and your sub-mechanics through allowing you to take over zones and giving you rewards for doing it. But I kind of feel like that's a major disconnect now that we're getting into it between Eastern and Western developers. Western developers put these mini-games in, and they go out of their way to encourage you to play them, to push you into playing them, to get you into the idea of playing these games. Whereas, 
Eastern developers don't give a shit if you play any of this stuff. They don't give a shit if you participate in their mechanics. It doesn't matter to them. They put that stuff in there, and if you're interested in it, cool. Have fun, but they don't care. Yeah, you see that in a lot of role-playing games, too. There's some a lot of just additional shit where it's like, yeah, you can do this. Or not. I feel like the only time where that's not true is, astonishingly enough, with Final Fantasy titles. Because, like, Final Fantasy X kind of bullied you into doing the, like, the, I can't even remember the name of it now, like, the fucking underwater volleyball shit. Blitzball. You had to fucking play Blitzball twice, I believe. Fuck Blitzball. Yeah. And they kept, they kept kind of pushing you into playing that. And I think Final Fantasy VIII, to a certain extent, kind of pushed you into playing its little weird card game a certain amount. And then Final Fantasy VII pushed you into playing mini games in the Golden Saucer. It's it's a very Western mentality to developing Eastern RPGs, which in some respects might actually explain part of why the franchise does as well as it does here. But it's just interesting to me that like outside of that, a lot of these franchises just put in this extra content and don't care if you ever see it. You know, the Tales series will put in all kinds of extra content and just does not give a shit if you interact with that content in any way, shape, or form. Um, Digimon, that I just played, puts in a whole lot of extra content and mechanics and missions and just elements that you do not ever have to touch if you don't want to. And that's fine. You can still complete the game, and the game doesn't make you do any of it. And I'm okay with some of that with that stuff existing outside the narrative, so that it doesn't feel like you're suddenly going, taking, uh, and essentially a non sequitur through <laughs> uh, something when you're like, uh, "Aren't I supposed to be saving the world or some shit? Why why do I have to go play pool now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like right." And it's, I feel like. Because somebody made it. <laughs> somebody designed yeah, and, it. <laughs> like, fuck it, you got to do it. I yeah. feel like the, the games that are most successful at this are the, the Bioware and the Bethesda RPGs. Yeah. They don't push you into doing any of the side content. They also don't push you into doing the main content. So you can just do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. And you'll just do whatever at, as you deem it appropriate. So you'll play... And you'll go and do maybe a bunch of the side missions because they're neat and they're interesting and maybe they'll get you something cool. But you aren't specifically forced into doing one or the other. There are sometimes too, though, with those Bethesda games, like for example with Skyrim, where all of a sudden, like you, you go back to doing the main quest and you're outfitted with the armor of something or other, with the mace of nightmares and shit like that now and people are like oh hey you're just a normal guy it's nice to see you and that's it, like motherfucker like i when i pee demons come out of the ground like it's really weird i've been playing like i'm super powerful right now you're acting like i should get out of your tent when really i can just destroy this entire place with a couple of shouts like and i look scary as a motherfucker uh, i look like I'm wearing my Batman thief's armor. Why? Why is everybody just completely ignoring that? Yeah, and I feel like at first a lot of people celebrated the fact that you didn't have to go the most direct route 
in order to accomplish certain things within the narratives of these kinds of games. But we've kind of come to the point now where it's, I feel like Bethesda, for whatever problems you might have with their approach to narrative, does a better job of making your character the, the center of the universe and the most important person around so that their interactions are immediately considered to be important and necessary and worth having such that these characters are treated like royalty essentially whenever they go somewhere you know if i wanted to pull out like something where game design really fucked with the narrative last of us people love the last of us they couldn't figure out a way to make it so that the ai character who's with you couldn't be uh couldn't fuck around without being seen and so the enemies just ignore her during stealth sections unless you're playing as her unless you're playing as her yeah that to me is where too where i'm like okay i know people overlooked it but i'm like what the fuck Uh, when did this bitch become invisible like (laughs) that kind of fucks the game up for me yeah i can definitely understand that there are definitely points where sooner or later the narrative kind of falls apart just because the game has to make certain concessions or the developers feel like they have to make certain concessions in order to make the game work around its narrative and it's i wonder if it's because the pro- the projects get too big because there's so many people or because there's so much money invested that the best possible answer is the one that gets the thing out faster. Yeah. I and I mean I I've seen that too just working in stuff is like sometimes you just go with what you know is going to work. <laughs> like it's not the best solution, but you got to make it happen. Right? And um but it, it's still weird to me that like like the game that's praised for like some of the best storytelling being a great game and won a lot of award end of the year awards and everything uh, from just three years ago is also a, like a horrible example of game design and narrative really just not working hand in hand with each other they're just like you know what we can't make this work so fuck it and people are like it's just a game it's okay <laughs> and i'm like ah that seems really lazy <laughs> like to to be like it's to use that excuse no. right it's i'm willing to accept that gaming has its own language and its own narrative structures but i don't feel like the answer of it's just a game is a sufficient answer and it's it's interesting to me that we keep coming up with these games that were developed by naughty dog where <laughs> you know regardless of money or anything we 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 keep coming back to the fact of they just don't give a shit. Yeah, and, well, and frankly, like I and I love Jack and Daxter. Jack and Daxter is like my favorite series, like ever. So I'm not going to even touch those. But um, but and and I mean, you can think of some other ones. I can definitely think of some other ones where they do stuff like that. And, uh, I I was talking to Karen about this a little too, and I was thinking, man, what are some games that also had really great examples of the times when the it worked really well? And I can also I can actually think back to some older examples too. Like I think the original Clock Tower games on the PlayStation did a really good job of marrying the two things. Like, not that the narratives were fucking good. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> but 
but all the everything you did in that game was tied to either discovering something, uh, investigating and looking for something in the narrative, or trying to just hide. <laughs> you know, um, it built a really strong connection to the narrative that wasn't going to exist because the narrative was good. It made the story better because of it, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And it's, I kind of feel like with that in mind, maybe it's just an issue where different developers just have different priorities, but some of those developers do actually care and are interested in it while others just don't. Going back to the Grand Theft Auto series for a minute, Grand Theft Auto 4, again, had these characters calling you up and asking you to go out and do things. And while it focused around a character who didn't want to be a horrible fucking murderer who was forced to commit horrible fucking murders um, and also wacky cartoon violence, the game at least had a token attempt to justify some of the shit that you could do. And Grand Theft Auto V, to the extent that I've been exposed to it, kind of tried to fix its narrative a bit so that it wasn't so crazy dissonant. Because again, trying to tell a story about a guy who doesn't want to be a wacky cartoon murderer, who can potentially be a wacky cartoon murderer, is much more disconnecting than Trevor. Yeah. Well, Trevor's really the only exception to that rule, really. They're still, like... Michael a little bit is like, hey, you know... Uh, I keep. Uh, I'm bored with my. Uh, Michael's more like he used to live the violent life, and now he's getting pulled back into it. But he kind of wants to be pulled back into it because he's fucking bored, right? Um, and so they they do a better job than. And, and in fact, that used to be a problem. My biggest problem with some of the older games is that every single GTA character was somebody's bitch, and they didn't want to be. And I'm just like, why? You got none of you guys need to be i mean you you're you just killed like 20 people in a row you can just go back and be like listen i just murdered 20 people if you want me to go do this for you oh, fuck you i you, you're talking to the biggest badass in this city i will straight up murder you and you know what i mean like they every single gta character for the longest time has been like okay i'll do the chores you gave me <laughs> you know I feel like at least in Vice City and in Grand Theft Auto V, it makes sense. Yeah, and in, in, in those two, it does make sense. Uh, actually, GTA Three it makes a bit of sense because mostly you're trying to do those chores to get like more information to get closer to the person who betrayed you. In True. Three. Um, and uh, Vice City, it makes sense for a while because it's kind of the same thing. You're trying to get back at the person who betrayed you, um, and GTA uh, and San Andreas, some of that shit just went like it makes sense for like the first half of the game, and then by the time you get to LA, it just all goes out the window for a long time. It's just like I don't even know what the fuck this, why we're doing any of this anymore. Like <laughs> we're robbing a casino now, I guess. I don't even fucking know how this helps me get back in my homies. Um, like, <laughs> uh. but I mean. It seems to me like Rockstar pays attention to that sort of thing and kind of wants their games to work in that way. And I feel like the people who have been developing the last couple of Dead Rising games understand that and want their games to work 
in that way, even with the ridiculous-ass fucking weapons that they give you to play with. They still want it to make a certain amount of ludo-narratological sense when you're choosing to play. Like, they pay attention to that, and they kind of want their games to make sense in that fashion. In fact, I think Dead Rising is such a good example of that, that you see people who get angry when people talk about stripping out game design things like the uh, the timers. Is uh, They're re-releasing Dead Rising for the Xbox One, PS4, etc. They're, they're re-releasing the first three games, right? Um, they're remastering and re-releasing. Um, and as part of that, some people have been saying, oh, good, I hope they give a chance to, for us to turn off the timers. And other people are like, are you fucking nuts? The timers are part of what, the narrative, and the timers go hand in hand. You can't take one without completely screwing over the other. Yeah, and it's really interesting, too, because a lot of the people who are arguing that the timers need to stay in are people who are saying, you know, Ludo narrative is important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're like saying this. It ha- these two things are tied. If you take one out, you wreck the other. You can't, you can't just do that. And so it, it is kind of interesting to use Dead Rising as an example of that because of some of the discussion around the remasters with people like, at least give us a choice. And other people are like, if like, choice or not, you're just going to fucking wreck the game. Ugh. Well, I mean, not only that, like Dead Rising 3 eased up a lot on the way Ludo narrative worked within the confines of the timers and whatnot. They gave you a lot more room to play around, a lot more free, open space to perform the tasks that you would want to perform. And Dead Rising 2, even to a certain extent, gave you a bit of a break, though less so, where you had a certain amount of freedom. Dead Rising 1 was the only game in the series to really buckle down and make those timers fairly precise to the point where you'd have to probably play through the game two or three times before you were at a point where you could make that kind of forward progress. And it's it's interesting to me that in some cases with a game like a Dead Rising, you'll have people who will say, fuck the Ludo narrative, I just want to play this game. And it's, I kind of have to wonder if the reason why you have people like Ubisoft who just does not seem to give a shit about the Ludo narrative and developers like Naughty Dog who will actively say that they are not Ludo narratively dissonant when come the fuck on is because, you know, the environment supports it. Because there are people who would just prefer that they not give a shit. And for the most part, there are people who are going to make the design decision and said the game design should come first no matter what. Other people are like, yeah, you know, narrative comes first. And there's a whole lot with that. I just, just you play some things in a game sometimes and it's like, oh, God, okay, this this has, makes no sense to the story that they're trying to tell in one way, shape or any way, shape or form, you know? Yeah, and it's also really interesting that that you would even bother to respond at all in, in some cases. Like, again, some developers do... Like, a Rockstar doesn't need to be ludonarratively consistent, but they want to be because regardless of anything else you might think about them, they treat their stuff like it's a quality product and they actively want to make their product a certain way in order to convey a certain experience and certain emotions within that experience. But 
there's no reason for Naughty Dog to even respond in the first place. Just fucking ignore that shit. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, like it's if, if 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 you're somebody like Rockstar who actively wants to correct this and try to be Ludo narratively consistent, cool, do that. Ubisoft doesn't fucking care. They're not yeah. going to respond to that shit. Ubisoft is one of the biggest defenders of that shit. They're, I mean, Watch Dogs. Not that the narrative was good, <laughs> but they went out of their fucking way in that game to. Oh my god! <laughs> right, I feel like the only time where they actively tried to stick with the Ludo narrative effectively was in the AR games that they created, and not mechanically because I have never seen an augmented reality game at any point in my life that could mimic me bouncing around on fucking flowers or piloting a scorpion tank to any degree of like perceived realism. Like that's just goofy shit. But the part where Aiden Pierce is a big enough fucking dickhead that he'd do something like that in a public park. And fuck, he'd be that motherfucker who'd be running up on you to get the fucking Pikachu. <laughs> I hope in the next Watch Dogs game, they, they let you play those AR games. And then afterwards, you get to watch a video of you being an asshole for a while. Like, <laughs> just outside of it, you know? I would enjoy that. I would, too. I'd be like, all right, <laughs> I'd buy that game. <laughs> Right, but I mean, again, it's it's Ubisoft does not care if their games are ludonarratively dissonant. They will never care if their games are ludonarratively dissonant because they make millions and millions of dollars off of their games, so who gives a shit? So I don't... I guess I don't understand if the public will support your activities in that way if you're a naughty dog. Why do you care? I don't know. I don't know. Because you want to be the best without admitting that you done fucked up <laughs> like i mean i'm just saying like i played both of the tomb raiders and nobody from those companies is responding to the the ludo narrative structures they they did to be fair try to make rise of the tomb raider more ludo narratively consistent by just starting with Lara croft being a weird psychopath who's perfectly fine with killing lots of people and not giving a shit about it and they make their games more tonally serious than something like Uncharted, so I don't feel as weird about killing people just constantly because it's not wacky hijinks Nathan Drake, it's super serious fuck you Laura Croft. But they didn't seem like they were doing it because they were concerned about that sort of dissonant creation. They just did it. Like, there's, there's not a point where you feel like they're saying, yeah... We wanted to make the, the, the games and the mechanics work well together or whatever, because if they had, you would have thought that they would have tried to tell a better story than not Jesus did it. It's just interesting to me that some people in that larger sphere of AAA development actively seem to give a shit about this kind of thing, which kind of makes it feel like maybe the larger development cycles aren't as big of a problem. And maybe it's just that your people are just not very good at this. Yeah, I, I noticed that. Uh, and here's the part where I lose everybody. Um, like, I love Jack 2, and I felt that all the systems worked really well together, and that game had a ton of mini games, and, <laughs> and, and it makes the storytelling, platforming, everything blended into each other really well. Uh, and that is completely where some people are like, oh, fuck this guy. Um, because people really didn't like the dark tone or change from Jack 1 to Jack 2. But 
uh, they can they can all suck my balls because that's a good game and way less. Uh, there's no Ludo narrative dissonance comparatively to anything. Yeah, Jack murdered the shit out of things. He was dark as fuck in that game. So I guess, and I, I didn't play Jack too, so I have no opinion on that. Good if, if you say if you say it's good, I take your word for it. But I guess the the one thing that comes to my mind after having hashed all of this out is that I kind of feel like from how much we've discussed maybe it isn't as bad as we might think but I definitely feel like there's just going to be this point in the world of video gaming where there's going to be people who just don't give a shit and that's fine Yeah. video gaming needs its own Michael Bay and if Naughty Dog needs to be Michael Bay you know, more power to them. Or Ubisoft, or Studio 343, or um, with running and hitting a button in Halo, but uh, or anybody, it's fun. And like, I I think, I don't know, the thing that gets me too is that our, our biggest our biggest examples of some of our best-selling games are the ones that are the most inconsistent between um, game design structure and the narrative it's placing and that that's in place in the game and yet I, I do agree with you maybe it's not that big of a problem because I can also think of a lot of indie examples where it, it all works together well where smaller teams are really making it work or even bigger teams uh, with uh, some of the examples we've mentioned too with like um Dead Rising and things like that, where it, where it works really well, but it just seems to me that some of the most egregious examples are also some of the ones that are selling the most, and so it makes me think that while it's not as big of a problem across the board, it's still the biggest representatives of the form are some of the biggest defenders of the well, sure. <laughs> well, sure, absolutely, but you know, who are the biggest sellers in movies? That's Nine true. times out of ten, fucking Michael Bay. Yeah. And, like, even if, I, even if I like the Avengers movies, they have their own sets of problems with how they choose to or don't choose to resolve certain narratives or put any kind of real stakes or pressure onto a situation. It's... Some companies are going to actively go out of their way to try to make that thing that is huge and makes a shitload of money, but is also internally consistent in any medium. You know, in film, you've got your Quentin Tarantinos and your Martin Scorsese's. But you've also got your Michael Bay's and your Roland Emmerich's. They're all going to make big movies that make good money, and are really well recognized by people, but some of them are going to be far more profitable than others. By that same token, you know, somebody in gaming, say a a rock star, would have to be your, again, your Quentin Tarantino. It might as well be Ubisoft that is your... Roland Emmerich, right? Yeah. So I don't I don't think it's that big of a deal. It sucks, 
and I would certainly like it if more people would pay more attention to it and work to better themselves. But at the end of the day, ultimately, I feel like there's definitely a lot of developers who pay attention to that and try to make their games and their systems work together and work well with one another so that we maybe don't have to worry about it as much as you would think. It's going to be a problem for as long as there are developers who are rewarded for not giving a shit. But I don't think it's as big of a problem as you might think. It's just a problem that is heavily represented at the top. Yeah, and I think that's where it gets me. But it, So, it's nice to see an evolution of the genre. I just, I don't know. I kind of wanted. I was kind of hoping by now it would be further along instead of still feeling like it's taking the baby steps towards being a broader art form. But uh, it'll get there. Yeah, I feel like gaming has evolved a lot quicker than other media of its type. Oh, there's that's a whole different podcast we could disagree on right there. But uh, like. That's. <laughs> like... I feel like, insofar as this goes, we've probably said everything that we would need yeah. to say at this point. Yeah. So, let's put that one away for now. Alright. And we'll wrap this one up here. Um, I do want to say thank you very much, sir, for taking the time out of your schedule to record with me on this. No worries. I... Even though we could have still done the, the like top ten video game characters which are circumcised and which ones are cool. Like, I would have been... Yeah, right. I'll put that aside, <laughs> I think. We'll table that. We'll uh, table that. We'll table right. that. But, on that note, I just want to say to all of the listeners out there, thank you very much for giving us a shot, and join us next time when our topic will be games that might get you shot that aren't Pokemon Go. On behalf of Matt Yeager, I'm Mark B. Thank you very much for coming, and stay safe out there, Junkers. <laughs>